So there, <laughs> there you have it. So anyway, we continue our series in, uh, as we prepare for Pentecost, which is uh, rapidly coming upon us. The Easter season continues. And I don't know that Jerry and Stacy need a whole lot of introduction. Um, I was thinking actually earlier today um, about that very first visit that I made to New Orleans and uh, met uh, both of you all and how the Lord has really been just awesome in bringing you all into our lives and vice versa, I hope, um, in the many different places where our paths have crossed and our lives have crossed and to have you here at Christ St. Paul's so um, uh, many times has been a blessing. Um, and to have you in this season as we prepare for Pentecost is even a double blessing. So I'm going to move you to spotlight video. Um, and most of us have a habit of uh, blanking out. Uh, so you don't know if we're uh, picking our nose, eating dinner, um, you know, like the Supreme Court using the restroom or whatever. Um, we, um, but at the end, after you speak to us, we would love to get faces and maybe be able to ask a couple of questions or just dialogue with you. So um, I'll probably stay so you see me. So you can oh, luck, lucky you in that regard. So, but let me turn it over to you. Welcome. I will mute myself. So um, what, there you what, go. Uh, Craig, what time are we going till? Because I'm starting first. And if I don't give Stacy enough time, there'll be some vigorous fellowship. Um, well, we... We uh, will stay with you. We'll hang with you. We've been, I, <clears throat> I think we've been running uh, speaker wise about 30 minutes or so, 25, 30 minutes. So you got 25, 30 minutes, but, but you engage us and we'll just stay all night. Okay. Cause we got a week's, you know, our month's worth of Wednesday, Wednesday stuff for you. So. <laughs> well, you know, I, you know, I don't put up a timer. Let me just say that, but I, I might, I might start waving or something. Okay. Go ahead. Take, right. take it away. But, but let me pray for so. Let me pray for you now that I think about that. Heavenly Father, I thank yeah. you for the great friendship you've given us with Jerry and Stacy, for their lives, for their ministry, for the ways that you've used them in our lives and the way we've partnered together to do ministry together. And so I pray that you would bless their time together with us tonight, that you'd give us a word of continued encouragement in this season where we find ourselves uh, waiting and uh, we've waited uh, to receive from you more and more of your Holy Spirit during this season. And so I pray for a fresh outpouring tonight on them and on us. And I ask it in Jesus's name. Amen. 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 All right. So we're uh, delighted to be speaking on um, one of our favorite topics and favorite people, the Holy Spirit. Uh, in preparation for Pentecost. So I'm going to say a few uh, preliminary things, and then what I want to focus on is the, the purpose of Pentecost. Um, why was it needed and, and why we need the Holy Spirit today? And then Stacy's going to get practical and talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. So I'm doing the 40,000-foot flyover, and Stacy's doing the application, and that's kind of normally how we how we operate. We operate, right, exactly. So Stacy's the practical one. Um, just to kick off, uh, Francis Chan wrote a wonderful little book about the Holy Spirit called um, Forgotten God Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know if y'all have bumped, it, bumped into that, but it's, uh, it's excellent. And if you haven't read it, I'd really commend it to you uh, for Pentecost season especially. And he writes at the beginning that if I were Satan, my ultimate goal uh, would be to thwart, would, was to thwart God's kingdom and purposes. One of my main strategies would be to get churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. The degree to which this has happened, 
and I would argue that it's a prolific disease in the body of Christ, is directly connected to the dissatisfaction most of us feel with and in the church. We understand something is very important that is missing. And I believe that missing something is actually a missing someone, namely the Holy Spirit. Without him, people operate in their own strength and only accomplish human-sized results. And I love this money line here. The world is not moved by love or actions that are of human creation. And the church is not empowered to live differently from any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. But when believers live in the power of the Holy Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. Mm -hmm. The church cannot help but be different and the world cannot help but notice. And I would just say in our years of ministry and mission, it's been, we have seen the most growth uh, in discipleship, growth in the church, when God's people have been out in the world filled with the Holy Spirit, being different. Would you agree? Yeah, I would. Um, I did not grow up in church, so I didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit, and then got into a traditional Episcopal church where the Holy Spirit was not talked about. So I lived a lot of my Christian life not knowing about the filling of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the indwelling, however you want, whatever term you want to use. Um, all, all of those are used in the Bible. Um, so I didn't know about it. And then as soon as I heard about it, I'm like, I want that. And then I, I remember reading about it in a book and I took it to Jerry and I had him read that paragraph. And I said, have you had this? Because I haven't had this and I want this. And um, it was soon after that we went to a conference uh, on healing and uh, both received the power of the Holy Spirit. It is night and day different between not, not having that power and, and walking with the power. Mm -hmm. Now, important note, the Holy Spirit is a, is a him, a person. The Holy Spirit is not an it. Or a force. Yeah, I, I hear clergy all the time referring to the Holy Spirit as it. And you've lost all credibility at that point. We actually saw an advertisement for a church teaching series on the Holy Spirit referring to him as an it. So we weren't terribly um, motivated to attend. Um, he's a person with an intellect and a will, and he is as much God as Jesus and the Father. Um, and it, it, it took the early church about 400 years to work this all out. Um, we owe a debt of gratitude to uh, St. Basil and the Cappadocian fathers. They were in Turkey. And in the fourth century, they finally sorted this all out theologically. And their, their understanding of the Holy Spirit was accepted by the church. Basil caused a huge stink um, with a doxology he was using in public worship. Uh, and this should sound familiar to us. The, the glory be that we often say at the end of the psalm, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Uh, this was an innovation by Basil, and it caused a huge fight. Uh, glory be to the Father through the Son and the Holy Spirit was the tradition. And this was kind of tied into a major heresy going around that, that said that Jesus and the Holy Spirit were, were secondary to the Father. They were created beings. Um, and, and Basil sorted out that the Holy Spirit was fully God from all eternity with no beginning or end, the same as Jesus. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all shared in equal glory, all deserving of our praise. And again, it took the church about 400 years to get there. Basil writes this about the Holy Spirit. 
through the Holy Spirit comes our restoration to paradise, our ascension into the kingdom of heaven, our return to the adoption of sons, mm. our liberty to call God our Father, our being made partakers of the grace of Christ, our being called children of light, our sharing in eternal glory, and in a word, are being brought into the state of all fullness of blessing, both in this world and the world to come, of all the good gifts that are in store for us. Wow. There is someone deserving of our, our praise and, and, and glory. Now, I want to pull back a little bit just from that historical note um, to take a look at the, the role of the Holy Spirit from 40,000 feet, starting at Pentecost. And again, we don't have a lot of time, but... I just want to hit on the work of the, the role, the work of the Holy Spirit in connection with the gospel of the kingdom. And, and this leads us to, to what we're supposed to be doing as followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes. He comes at Pentecost. He comes today for a purpose. And this purpose defines our life as Christians. We, we need to know this. Uh, what we see is a really a huge problem for the church in the West. And we all know the church in the West is in decline is that we, um, we can be terribly ignorant of the Holy Spirit, as Francis Chen you know, calls him forgotten God, our tragic neglect. Um, you know, our trinity in the West tends to be Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Um, and somewhere along the line, we lost the plot of the kingdom, which was the central point of Jesus' mission. And we don't know the gospel. Uh, you can't separate the kingdom from the gospel. The heart of the gospel is that the king has come to establish his kingdom, and God in Jesus is reestablishing his, his sovereign rule over all the nations, over all people, over all creation. Um, in the West, when we talk about the gospel, we often leave out the kingdom and we leave out follow. Kingdom and follow, those are central points if we're going to be talking about the gospel. It's, it's not about getting saved. You know, saying a little prayer so we can go to heaven when we die. That just isn't the Jesus of the Gospels. That wasn't his mission. That's not what he was about then. It's not what he's doing now. So, you know, if we're seeing a declining church, I think part of it is we're at the heart of it is we're not synced up with what Jesus is doing, right? what, he's, what he intended to do, what he launched, and what he's doing today. What he said to do. Yeah. So it's no wonder the church in the U.S. is in decline. We, we have a gospel crisis here. But it's not so around the world. Again, fastest growing Christian country in the world is Iran, uh, China. We're seeing 10,000 baptisms a day. And so when we understand who the Holy Spirit is and what he does, Stacy's going to get into, when we see that the kingdom is the very heart of Jesus' mission, and that's what the Holy Spirit's doing, that's, and when we know the gospel, that's when the church grows. That's when the church, we don't you know, we want, it, we want programs and websites and Facebook pages and uh, DVD series and bumper stickers. And really what we need is the gospel of the kingdom and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. So if we look at, at Pentecost from Acts 2, we saw 120 people uh, went in the upper room to pray for the promise of Luke twenty-two forty-nine, And the men and women were waiting for the promise of power. They might have been in the same room where Jesus had the Last Supper. Um, Jesus had ascended to heaven, but his followers were to carry on the work he started. And, and what was the work? We need to know what the work was, and we'll get to that in a minute. But the followers of Jesus were, were fearful. It's interesting that they had seen the resurrected Jesus, but they were still scared. 
you know, they had abandoned Jesus uh, in the time of judgment and at the cross, um, and, and even during the resurrection season. But after the coming of the Holy Spirit, we see a change. One thing we see right away is they're in complete agreement. The Holy Spirit brings unity, and he empowers, and he excites. And as a result of the Holy Spirit's coming at Pentecost, we see this change in the disciples, and, and we should see the same change in us as followers of Jesus. We should see it in the church. Uh, we see from the coming of the Holy Spirit, we see faithfulness. It's verse 42. They continued in the apostles' doctrine and had fellowship in the breaking of bread. We see proper fear of the Lord, verse 43. They had honor and respect towards God, and then signs and miracles and wonders followed. And we see fellowship, verses 44, 45. They, they sold their homes and gave money to the church to help the poor and the needy. We see service and fruit. They serve God daily, and the result was soul winning. New converts were added daily. Can we see these things in our own life, in our own church? The people that we see in the book of Acts, they went on to change the world, and they had, I think they had five important things that helped them to change their world. They were, they were sincere to God. They were serious. They were seeking God. They sought his direction, sought to be obedient. They were serving God. They served God with all their hearts. They were surrendered to God. God had all their hearts, all their lives, all their talents, and they studied about God. They met in homes. There were no church buildings, and they studied the word of God. Uh, Thomas Kempis writes in his Pentecost sermon that, I really like this, today, the, on this day of Pentecost, the holy apostles were so strengthened in, in the love of Christ and enlightened in the grace of the Holy Ghost that they could not be crushed by any adversity or softened by any prosperity or beguiled by any errors or drawn mm -hmm. away from the entirety of the faith by any arguments. Today, Pentecost, men lowly and simple have been made wise and poor fishermen have become great teachers and what they learn not in schools, this they have received from heaven by devout prayer. On Pentecost, illiterate and fearful men have become eloquent and bold, and they have had known only but one tongue, but by the teaching of the Holy Spirit, speak of God in words of all tongues. This is lovely. Today, earthly-minded men have become heavenly, and that they before were despised are now become a wonder to every nation under the sun. That should be true of us today, a wonder to every nation, as it was of the disciples then. That's what the church is to be today. And this is how the church grew in Jerusalem from just a, you know, a few hundred Jewish believers in Jesus to millions across the region uh, in a very short period of time. And this is what the global revival we're seeing right now looks like. This is what we're seeing happen in, um, in the nations in Asia and parts of the Middle East right now. So, so this goes to why are we given the Holy Spirit? And it's to fulfill, he's, he's to fulfill the commission that Jesus has given us. We're, we're given, Jesus gives us a commission to go into all nations, all people groups in South Carolina and, and North Carolina and, and in prison if you're there. And Idaho. Idaho and um, Texas. Yeah, and the, the, it's, it's to make obedient disciples who bring the kingdom of God. And this commission, it's tied to Jesus' authority as king over all the earth and his mission, which is to expand the kingdom of God to all nations, all people. Jesus ascended to heaven, but his mission continues over all the world through us, his disciples. And this is only possible by the Holy Spirit. 
And it's important that when Jesus tells his followers to go into the world and it's a place where we'll be persecuted and we have no power and we're on the outside, how can we do this? How can we take on the Roman Empire? How can we take on um, agnosticism and, and atheism and, and um, distraction here in the US? How do we take on Islam in the Middle East? Acts 1.8 says that we will go into the world and make disciples only because the Spirit is with us. See, at Pentecost, we see the Spirit is sent by this king as both proof that the king is reigning and also as the very power within the kingdom. He's the proof and the power. And so it's the Spirit working through kingdom citizens, that's us, friends, to announce the gospel news. The gospel is that Jesus is king, and it's the Spirit who leads and guides and protects citizens of the kingdom. It's the Spirit who uses the word to convict and reveal and change people so that the kingdom increases. It's the Spirit who brings glory to God. It's the work of the Spirit through believers. Us, we are citizens of the kingdom here on earth. It's how Jesus exercises and expands his rule here on earth now. In the Gospels, the kingdom is among the disciples in the king. Jesus is standing in their midst. In Acts, the kingdom of God is among us because the Spirit brings the presence of Jesus to us. Jesus is present to us today, leading us, guiding us in the Spirit. So Pentecost is essential to Jesus' purpose and to the very life and mission of the church because the king sends his spirit to the people he is sending into the world. He appoints us, he commissions us, and he sends us with the Holy Spirit. And Pentecost is when the church is brought into the, the king's army and is equipped by the spirit for what's coming ahead of all of us. So Pentecost is the launching and the deploying of, of, of the citizens of kingdom of God into the kingdom of the world. And that's where we are today. So this goes to our work. What are we supposed to be doing? Our commission, what Jesus told us to do, is to continue his mission of advancing God's kingdom. The king has come. The kingdom is breaking in. And, and Jesus' mission is to bring all of creation, all creatures, all of creation, under God's rule and reign. And it can't come again until then. It's not, it's not about going to church on Sunday. Not that we shouldn't do that. That's not the point. Jesus didn't come to make us nice and go to church on Sunday. And if that's our idea of church, that's why we're seeing decline in the West, because that's not what Jesus' mission is. It's not what he did, what he came to do, or what he's doing. He didn't come to make us nice and go to church. Jesus came as the ultimate king to establish his kingdom, his rule. The church is not the kingdom. The church is an agent of the kingdom. The church's job is to advance the kingdom reestablishing God's rule and reign, undoing all the curses of the fall. Now that's exciting. Uh, this is the gospel of the kingdom. And that's a gospel. That gospel there is the gospel that spread from Jerusalem to all of the known world, you know, and within 100, 200 years brought in millions of people and brought down the Roman empire. You know, this is the gospel that excites and draws people in. And this is a gospel worth dying for. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And it's the Holy Spirit who makes this possible. Your turn. Amen. Here, let me, one second, guys.
Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about Pentecost, and also we're going to talk about um, however you want to hear it, whether, whether you like being filled with the Spirit, indwelled with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit. Um, I just want to show that according to Scripture, that it's two different things, because Jesus came at, after, his, after he died, um, he came back, and in John 20, verse 22, he had the disciples gathered and he said, and he blew on them and he said, receive my spirit. And I believe that when you accept Christ and you repent of your sin and you believe him and you confess with your mouth that he's Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, boom, you are saved and you, you have the Holy Spirit. But then there's a second thing that happens when you are endued with power. And I can attest that for my own life, Jerry's life. So here we are definitely saved, but walking with no power. And then I read that, that I read a book on prayer on, on D.L. Moody and D.L. Moody would go preach a sermon and he would get about three salvations. And then a little lady walked up to D.L. Moody and said, D.L., have you had, you know, have you received the promise of the Father? And he's like, well, I don't know, ma'am, but if there's something else that God has for me, I want it. And the little lady prayed for him, and it doesn't say what happened, but he goes out and he, now he's preaching the exact same sermon, but this time 300 salvations. So you can see that the Holy Spirit is power. And even Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you know, the, the, the guys like Jerry said, the disciples are all scared. And he said, wait until you are endued with power from on high, from the Holy Spirit. And then you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, and to the four corners of the earth. And then, of course, on that day of Pentecost, the, the holy, you know, the things shake and it's like wind and everybody gets fire and uh, they begin to speak in other tongues. And Peter, who was scared and denied Christ when a, like a 14-year-old servant girl questioned him, is now bold, preaches a gospel, and boom, 3,000 get saved in one preaching. That's power, people. So the Holy Spirit to come upon us is for power. And then in Mark 16, 17, Jesus said, and these signs and wonders will follow those who believe. Not a super apostle, not uh, you know, a certain type of Christian, those who believe. In my name, they will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. They'll cast out demons. They'll lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And I can tell you that uh, everything changed after we received that, that um, power from on high, from the Holy Spirit. Your prayer increases. The power to heal increases. We have, we have more salvations. I had, I'll just tell you, I had zero salvations before the Holy Spirit uh, filled me, and I have many, many salvations afterwards. Like Jerry and I had 54 in one year in the Islamic Republic of Zanzibar. That's that's power. Um, the Holy Spirit, He is the Spirit of Christ. Um, we are to worship and glorify Him. He exalts Christ. He points to Christ. He gives us 
power over sin. That's in Ezekiel 36, 26. And it, and it says he's going to um, put a spirit upon us and a spirit in us. He's going to take out that heart of stone, give us a heart of flesh, put the spirit upon us and in us so that we can overcome sin. There, there's your power. He's also power in ministry. That's from Acts 1, 8, which we talked a lot about. And he's power to bring glory to God. Some of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I mean, what I, what I want right now, Father God, is that you would just open up our hearts to, to your spirit. He's also called Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, Spirit of Jesus Christ, Spirit of God's only Son, um, Spirit of Jesus. He's, can you, you feel in it? And we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open up our hearts so that we could love you more, that we would not be afraid of you. You are good. You are the promise of the Father. So before I go on to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I just want to say there are 7,000 promises in the word of God. And yet God called the Holy Spirit the promise of the Father. And then Jesus said, he also said, if anyone is thirsty, come to me. And out of his inmost being, rivers of living water will flow. And by this, he meant the Holy Spirit because they had not yet received him because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So he's greatly to be desired. Um, some of the ministries, um, he, he is a medium. That's from 1 Corinthians. He calls us to ministry. In Acts 13, too, they were praying and fasting under the Lord and the Holy Spirit spoke. And he said, I want these two and I want them to go there. So he calls us to ministry. He also guards us. He empowers us. He fills us. He is a channel of divine revelation. And Craig, I'll, I'll send these to you so nobody has to take notes. But everyone I'm speaking has like three scripture verses to back it up. Um, he's our helper. He illuminates. He indwells. He intercedes for us. He helps us to pray. He, he produces fruit, the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians. That's all Holy Spirit. Um, he provides spiritual character, and he regenerates. He also uh, he convicts of sin. In John 16, he's called the spirit of conviction of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. When you do something wrong and you, you, know, you feel it, that's that Holy Spirit. That's him convicting us. So we need him. He also restrains. Um, he also sanctifies. He seals us. And he um, selects overseers. He's also a source of fellowship. And he's a source of power. Um, I love to think about that. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. And that is resurrection power. And I think we need to unleash the power and get in the word, increase our faith and start, like Jerry said, we just need to start advancing the kingdom of God and, and just be unafraid. So what is that, what is it called when Holy Spirit comes upon us? In Mark 1, 8, he's referred to as um, being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, John says, I will baptize you with water for the forgiveness of sin, but there is one coming after me and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Love that. Um, it's also called, uh, again, it's called baptism with the Holy Spirit in Matthew 311. Um, it's also called when the, when the Spirit comes upon us. Um, that's Acts 1-8. It's also called indwelling. 
and that is John 14, 23. And then it's also called being filled. And that's Ephesians 5.18. Do not be filled with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. How does it happen? Biblically speaking, the number one way that people receive this, this indwelling is the laying on of hands. Um, and who, by a spirit-filled believer. Um, Ananias laid hands on, on uh, Saul, Paul, and he, the scales fall, and he was, and he received the Holy Spirit. Ananias did that. He is a spirit-filled believer. Also, the laying on of hands by, um, like, someone with an apostolic anointing. Now, in Acts, uh, the, one of the disciples went, was preaching the gospel. Lots of people in Samaria received, but they had not, they've only received the the water baptism and they had not received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So then I think it's Peter and uh, Peter and John come and they, yeah, Peter and John come. And this is in Acts 8, uh, 15. And they come and they lay hands on those new believers and boom, all of them, all of them receive that, that power, the Holy Spirit. Um, also, Paul is talking to some believers, and he said, he, he's asking them, have you guys received the, the Holy Spirit? And they said, no, we don't even know what you're, what you're talking about. And he said, well, what, what were you baptized in? He said, well, we were baptized with John's baptism, the forgiveness of sin. And then, um, and then Paul prayed for them. They all received the Spirit. And they all began to either speak in tongues or prophesy. And that was in um, Acts 19.6. Um, it can also happen at, wa at your water baptism, although I, I, that's, it's pretty rare. But it, ha it did happen to the Ethiopian in Acts 8. And it can also be done by prayer. A lot of times people pray. And once they find out about the Holy Spirit, they just pray to receive, and that's in Acts 2 and 4 and Acts 4 and 31. They, they get together and pray. The other one is when it's preached. When the gospel is preached, Cornelius, before water baptism, the Holy Spirit came upon him and upon all his family members. They began to speak in tongues, and also that was to help Peter realize that, um, what are we called? Not Jews, but... Gentiles. Gentiles, that the Gentiles could receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so um, that's how it happens. What, what prevents the Holy Spirit um, from indwelling us or from coming upon us with great power? Uh, one is bad doctrine or just ignorance. For me, it was ignorance. I, I had no idea. I'm like those dudes that, um, that Paul calls upon. He's like, um, did you receive power? No, I don't have no idea what you're talking about. Um, and then we went to that healing conference and uh, Judith McNutt and Francis McNutt laid, they both laid hands on me and it did happen uh, and just came up like bubbling water from my inmost being, which is around the belly button. Um, pretty fantastic. So just not knowing. And the other one is disobedience. Um, and it says right here, and we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So we need to obey. Um, also, when we are unrepentant, um, Peter said to them, repent. 
be baptized, and then you will receive the promise of the Father. Um, so we have to be repentant. We, if, we, if you want to hold on to one of your little pet sins, it, it may not happen. Um, also, resistance. Um, it, it says, uh, uh, he said, you, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. This is Stephen speaking. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. So we have to want him and love him and uh, receive him and just have open hearts. Notice that they prayed for Peter and John. Um, notice that they were praying and Peter and John to be filled, but God fills them all. So when, when they went and they healed the guy at the gate, Notice they, they hadn't been doing healings before, and they heal the guy at the gate. They get arrested. They get uh, threatened with their lives. They are told not to speak this name, and instead they go back, and what do they do? Just for the two of them, they're all gathered. They prayed for more boldness, and this was in Acts 4. So this is my other point, which to be filled or have this power come upon you is not a one-time event. It happened in Acts 2 to the 120, and then they go out, they preach, they come back, they're meeting again, and boom, they only asked for the two guys, and it fell on all of them again. Man, that is, is that lavish grace or what? So is it optional? Um, not really. I, I think, um, you know, I think it's for everybody. And, and I think everybody should want it and you should tarry until you get it because it's power. It's power to witness, power to share, power to cast out demons, power to heal the sick, power to bless. Um, if you're, if you feel weak, yes, we want this. So, um, but it's not, it's, it shouldn't be optional because D Jesus died on that cross to, to, to fulfill this prophecy. The prophecy is in Isaiah. Uh, the prophecy is in Joel 2, and Jesus dying on that cross, resurrecting, and then being glorified, and the Spirit coming poured out 50 days is to fulfill that prophecy. So it's for everybody. Um, and it also says, do not be filled with wine, which leads to debauchery. That's, that's not a suggestion. That's a command. Do not be filled. That's a command. Um, why do we need to constantly be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because we leak. Sin, disobedience, and controlling behavior. You're, you know, we, when we sin, we grieve the Spirit. When we sin, we grieve the Spirit. And when we are disobedient, we grieve the Spirit. When he tells us to do something and we don't do it, that grieves him. We can also quench the Spirit which that is like putting a kink in a garden hose and it just doesn't flow anymore. And that's usually um, when we try to, when we're trying to be controlling and we don't, and we don't trust Holy Spirit. So the cure is to confess our sins, to repent and to ask to be filled again. Um, let's see. Do you remember the, the wise virgin, virgins and the foolish virgins? Okay. Remember they couldn't share that oil? When you abide in Christ, there is an anointing that comes from abiding. 
and I can't share that with anyone. No one can share that anointing with anyone. But if you are a wise virgin, you will abide in Christ. You will spend time with him. You will set up, you know, you'll be like a branch on the true vine. And then that abiding comes. And that's how we can be wise virgins. And notice that that oil that those wise virgins got, it was expensive oil. It wasn't cheap oil. It was really expensive. That's that ab abiding oil. So how do we, how do we get that oil? Um, when we praise God, because God inhabits the praises of his people. So worship and praise. Um, anointing increases when we are in the word richly. It says that, um, that, it, that anointing increases when the word richly dwells in us. That's from Colossians 3.16. So we got to be in that word. And I just say, get in the word, get in the word, get in the word. Memorize it, meditate on it, because Jesus is the word made flesh. Um, God also resists the prideful, but he gives grace to the humble. Humility is like an oil attractor. Obedience, of course, when we obey, um, when we obey, God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey. Um, Holy Spirit points to Jesus. Holy Spirit exalts and glorifies Jesus, and he will not glorify man. Okay. I, I think we're at time. <clears throat> we have any questions? Questions, wait, thoughts, wait, concerns? Wait, 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 concerns. wait for me. Wait, you have a leader here. Where am I? Hold on. Hold on. We got to do this, that, and the other. You know, give a clergyman a microphone and look what happens. Not, where am I now? Oh, gosh. This is. I've got that. Hold on. There we go. Whew. Finally. All right. So thank you, Jerry and Stacy both. I know that was a, you know, a lot all in one time. I got at least one text, uh, maybe two that uh, asked if we were going to have it recorded. I, it is being recorded and Stacy said she'd be giving us um, so a lot of the citations that she was quoting there off quickly run them off so we can have them um, for you. But while they're still with us, I see most people are still muted, but if you have a question while they're still with us, would you unmute yourself and uh, maybe ask that question? Hey, Jerry Harold. Hey, um, what, uh, what do you see as the major issue in the Western church that prevents them from experiencing the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I know Stacy went through that, but let's make a stance that, that most of the Anglican churches are doing the right things. You can um I would I would say probably uh not asking. Um that's in I think it's in Luke um Luke 10 where um where Jesus says uh, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And I just so that just tells me a couple of things. One, if you ask, He will He will give. And two, Holy Spirit is good because He said, if you're you know if your child asks for an egg, are you going to give him a scorpion? No. And if you ask for a piece of bread, are you going to give him a rock? No. So if we ask for the Holy Spirit, we are asking for something good. And I just think we need to ask and also um, preach on it. 
and not be, you know, not be afraid. I think it's, it's not a, it's not a zero sum game. Um, you know, I think in the Anglican world, especially we have our camps, um, you know, if for some, the, the focus, the priority is liturgy, um, for others, it's the word for some it's, you know, worship, um, for some, they're really outreach focused and I'm sort of an all of the above guy that, um, that those are all good things and they should all be there, but the Holy Spirit needs to be included there. And I think to your question, there's, there's some ignorance, um, you know, we're not taught, we don't know. And I think that's huge. Mm -hmm. I think there are some people who are afraid, um, and because there have been abuses and excesses and, um, you know, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. You know, uh, all like, for example, just all revivals, moves of God, they're messy and weird things happen and some heresy gets in there. They're, they're really, really messy things. And, but we can't let abuses. They, but also thousands and thousands and even in some revivals, millions came to faith. So I think we can put up with a little bit of, uh, you know, demonic activity <laughs> trying to say this is a bad thing. Like Jerry said, don't throw it. Uh, and, and almost every single revival was hated at the time, but history looked back on it. You know, they used to call the Great Awakening the Great Noise. Well, guess what? Now they call it the Great Awakening. And, and there were um, many salvations from that. And they said that uh, there was no blood in the streets of UK because of the Great Awakening, whereas there was in France. I mean, as a rector, I was afraid of and opposed to this stuff. I, I did not want disorder in the church. <laughs> well, that's the whole point. I mean, there is fear because rectors tend to want to have control of what's going on in their parish. Yeah. And that has to admit you have to let go of control and realize that God's the one who's really running the show. Yeah, it took it took God working through Stacy to badger me to open up a little bit. And then, you know, and God brought me on a journey. You mm -hmm. know, I think I think starting with the McNutts was very safe. You know, they're they're very calm and measured and um, they're fully part of they're Catholic. So they weren't they weren't doing anything too wild. That was kind of a safe they were like training wheels for me, a starter set in the Holy Spirit, and it enabled me to sort of transition. I will just say our own experience, and this is what we're seeing globally, that the absolute number one bridge to the gospel right now going on across the world, the gospel bridges are, you know, how do, we, how do we present the gospel to a culture, to people? And it can be, you know, reading the word, it can be preaching, it can be mercy ministries, you know, it could be the, the absolute number one that we have seen personally and what we're seeing globally is healing prayer. Boom. That's what we're seeing as the bridge to the gospel globally right now. It's signs and wonders. Mm -hmm. And so I just tell people, if you don't like it, take it up with God, because we're just describing our own testimony and what the missionaries are seeing globally right now is the number one way people are bridging to the gospel is through seeing, seeing signs and wonders and healings. Um, so what, what we did was we began to pray and fast and we asked for a soul every week. And then we also trained up locals, got them baptized or filled or endued with power from on high and then taught them. And then we would go out and with them, teach them. And then, and then they could go out on their own without us. And it was all, well, I will say, I would say probably 
50% was healing prayer. The other 50% was deliverance because the witchcraft in Zanzibar was so epidemic. And, and those people had nowhere to go to get help and they would come to us and then we would get them delivered, share the gospel, boom, they're in. And this is what we're seeing too with younger people um, that, that um, uh, the works of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is incredibly attractive and resonates with younger people because they are, they're one, they are very hands-on. They want to do stuff. And number two is they're incredibly skeptical and they have to see it. And so when they actually, they, they don't believe, they don't, they don't buy syllogisms. They don't buy arguments. So like teaching series, apologetics, things like that, they don't buy, they're not interested, they're not gonna do it because they don't believe there's any authority about anything. That's your classic younger person right now. There's no authority, nobody has any answers and they're incredibly skeptical. So for them, they have to see and they have to do. And so when they see the work of the Holy Spirit, when they get to do the ministry of the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. is when they get engaged. That's what speaks to them and resonates with them. So that's why you're seeing Holy Spirit, church, churches that minister in the Holy Spirit tend to be very attractive to younger people. They're drawing them in right now. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense again, because they're letting them go do the stuff. They get to be hands-on and they're actually seeing stuff in front of their eyes. They're not being told about it. You can't tell them or teach them anything. They have to see it and do it. And, you know, so that's something that, that would be helpful for Anglican churches to know. Get out of the building and go pray for the sick. Yeah. yeah. What else? John Ramsdale. Yes, what, what a great conversation to start. Thank you for starting this rolling, Harold. Um, Stacy, your, your, your words about Pentecost were so strong and you know stronger than really what would come out of um, the Anglican Convention for sure. Um, I would like to relate something personal in that you know my grandmother, when she was a young woman, had left generations of the Episcopal Church to join the Pentecostal movement. And a lot of, for this reason, in fact, I'm gonna show you something, and this actually is her Bible, which I'm so blessed to have. Wow. Um, but it, it changed her life, it changed the life of our whole family, even though we ended up going back to the Episcopal Church. But, you know, I, I, I get the, perspective, Jerry, that, you know, many of these movements are messy and, and they're too messy for something that is as put together as the Anglican church. Hmm. But yet they are what actually drive the gifts of the spirit to the people. Hmm. And things are changing, you know, in many areas, you know, the Pentecostal movement is coming back and it, it's taking over Anglicanism. You know, Australia is one place, for example. Mm -hmm. So are there ways that we actually find commonality with, you know, some of these um, other faiths that, you know, are more focused on uh, the Pentecost, um, but yet still share some of our interests and missions and the likes to, to bridge these gaps? Because as you said, that's where a lot of young people are going because they want to see things. It's a great, great observation. And I, I think we're living in a time of um, convergence. Again, what we do as missionaries, people don't get is that 
um, you know, we have eyes and ears all over the whole world. There's a lot of research going on, a lot of study, a lot of observation, and we're and, and a lot of information to process. And we do that. And we are we're kind of ontological creatures. We um, we don't make judgments. We try to observe what is God doing. That's the most important question to us. How is He doing it? Where is He doing it? What is He doing? That's what matters to us. Not not what we think. I always tell people, God doesn't care what your theology is. <laughs> He's God. And so to your point, your question or observation, um, we're seeing a great convergence right now going on. There has been historically a, a separation of word and spirit people. Um, and they sort of notoriously do one and not the other. And we're seeing a convergence now. They're coming together. We're seeing a merge of the word ministry of the word, ministry of the spirit. It's beginning to sort of happen at the grassroots, which is a wonderful thing. I think for Anglicans, um, an opening for us and a place for us is um, the, the, the global disciple-making movement that we're seeing now. Um, like we're living at the time of the greatest move of God in history among Muslims, for example and what's going on in China and Asia. It's just unbelievable, Indonesia. Um, that kind of started as a strange mix of Baptists and Pentecostals. Um, that's that right there has to be God, <laughs> you know, because they were both kind of equally involved in birthing this. Now, what's very interesting is when they get into church formation movement, we kind of go from non-believer to baptized believer to forming churches. When, when it's time for them to start forming churches, we just send them to scripture. They go to Acts and tell us what did the church, what does the church do from Acts? And so we let them discover that. That's their job with the Holy Spirit to figure out what the church is supposed to be and do. Across the board, all across the world, one of the absolute core values that they come up with in any context and no matter who's leading it is a very high value of the Lord's Supper. Mm -hmm. They will not meet without celebrating the Lord's Supper. The idea of having more, you know, communion once a month on a Sunday would just make their heads explode. Um, they, they won't do it. They say it's not scriptural. And so I think there's an opening there right now for, for us Anglicans and liturgical people uh, to, to be part of this as well. I think that's part of the convergence going on. So, for example, in Iraq, we work with a, a very low church it was planted by Americans initially like 20 years ago, that movement, uh, by evangelicals who did not believe in the Holy Spirit today. And so that's kind of, we worked that out of their system, you know. Well, well the, the church that planted them didn't believe it, but the believers received that power from on high, and they just started doing the stuff. I mean, they were going to hospitals, praying for the sick, people were getting healed, people were getting delivered. So, I mean... And they were occasionally doing Lord's Supper, and then they came to me, and this was the whole network of evangelicals in Kurdistan, and they came to me one day, and they said, it's very interesting, too, they always call me Father Jerry, I hate being called Father, and um, it's always Father Jerry, and they said, would you teach us how to do Lord's Supper your way, and, which was using the Book of Common Prayer, our communion rite, and then I had my translator, it was a Kurdish Muslim scholar, um, Islamic scholar. And, I, and um, during my Kurdish lessons, one of my goals is to um, avoid, delay, uh, sidetrack him, because it's impossible to learn, so I want to do something else and waste time. 
And so one of my time wasters for him was to have this Muslim scholar, Islamic scholar, to translate the communion rite in the Book of Prayer into Kurdish to help me. And in that process of translating it, he came to faith. So to go to your point again, it's, again, it's very messy right now, but what we are seeing is a convergence. We're seeing word and liturgy and spirit people starting to move together. And that's a beautiful thing. And I think there's a place for Anglicans at the table now. We bring something with the liturgy to the table. And Muslims are, are for us, in our context, are liturgical creatures. Liturgy works for Muslims, so, which, which the Pentecostals and Baptists don't know anything about. And they're kind of reaching out to us for help. Like, how do we do this stuff? We don't know about it. So I hope that helps. I just want to encourage your, your thinking because it, it does seem to be what's happening right now. We do seem to be coming together. Um, and it's a beautiful thing, mm -hmm. but it's very messy and it's very new. Also, I find that if, if uh, for people who have received the infilling or the, or the you know, power from on high come upon you in the Holy Spirit, um, denominationalism, is secondary. It's Jesus becomes number one. His kingdom becomes number one. Saving souls. There's like a fire in your heart, and like all. And, and so, people who have this this change in them, we feel so alike that we'll work. We don't care if you're Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, Anglican, or Episcopalian, or or any flavor. This, this, just, it just helps you to just rise above and you're, and you are just Jesus and his kingdom. And so I think baptism in the Holy Spirit, um, can help us rise above that, that kind of stuff to where it just doesn't even matter anymore. Yeah. I think the key to the move of God right now, denominational walls have to come down. And what I always tell Anglican <laughs> churches is that if you try to make Anglicans, you're not going to succeed. There's nobody sitting around out there thinking about becoming an Anglican today <laughs> you know, in, the, in the community, you know, or it'd be very, very rare, you know, but if we, if Anglicans set out to make disciples and advance the kingdom of God, you're going to get Anglicans. If we get first things first, you know, because again, the goal is not ultimately to make Anglicans. It's to make disciples who make disciples who bring the kingdom of God. And I think if we're faithful to that, then we're going to see more, you know, more Anglicans created and, and get involved. But we have to get first things first. Does that make sense? Yep. Cecil, I see you've been unmuted for a while. Were you going to ask a question or say, make a comment? Yeah, sort of uh, on a personal level. I, I feel like the Holy Spirit is at voice that talks to me all the time and tells me what to do or not to do and answers my questions for me and, and I'm praying all the time and and I just I don't know I get answers and I don't know maybe that's something mystical but I think that that sort of leads me through what I've done in life I mean I've always believed since about 11 when I was baptized in Jesus and in heaven and in the Holy Spirit I think just it's that person that keeps that communication. It never was. I've been Baptist. I've been Lutheran. I've been Episcopal. <laughs> so <laughs> He's finally I, I agree with your last statement very much. It's, it's like uh, we've moved 13 times. And so I've always carried those things with me. I can't always carry the church with me and we find the local church and, and, uh, but 
regardless of what country I've, I've been in 30 countries and regardless of what country I was in, those things were there to, to, to kind of to the best that I could to be a stable, good person mm-hmm. and following in Jesus. And I've sinned like everybody, but I, and then as you may or may not know, I went through a terrible physical year last year health wise. And, and I never thought about dying because I knew God was saving me for something. And uh, in, in the work I do, uh, I'm giving back skills that God has given me over the years to the people that I, I help and work with. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Stan, were you going to say something? I saw you unmuted as well. Are you going to say something or ask something? Yes. Uh, I'm going to read a verse, but I'm not going with that verse where most people go. All right. First Corinthians uh Chapter 13, verse 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Um, What positive things? I know they argue about the baptism. I don't want to get into that. But what really catches me there is drinking of one spirit. What does that mean to you? And how do you think the church can do that? I, that probably to me, sounds like it refers to the Holy Spirit, drinking of one, of one spirit, Holy Spirit. And he's the giver of the gifts, one spirit, but many gifts. Uh, Mm -hmm. How can we, how can we as a congregation get more excited about the work of the Holy Spirit and this marvelous gospel that you're talking about, this kingdom gospel that you're talking about? So yeah. like if you were like somebody came up to you, like somebody came up to you and said, what is the gospel? Mm-hmm. What would you say to them? I think it's God's plan. You know, I came back to get you. <laughs> I came back to get you. You were a sinner and, and God so loved you that he sent his one and only son. And if you believe in him, you're going to have eternal life and you have sinned and that separates you from God. And this whole thing is, I loved you so much. I came back to get you. And then essential to that is, is that in, in that, that Jesus is a king who has come to establish his kingdom. And he says to follow me. That's the heart of the gospel. And again, mm-hmm. as I said, I think we, we, we leave out. When Jesus is teaching and talking, we see that in the gospels. What's he teaching and talking about? It's the kingdom. Mm-hmm. The That's sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I think you alluded to that. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. He proceeds to make us holy. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And that's how we, we follow him. You know, to, yes. And he says, follow me. And we need the Holy Spirit to follow, you know, to follow him. To answer your question about sort of living this life, you know, I'd say is, is pray to be filled and then do the stuff, you know, and share the testimony. Mm-hmm. Go do the stuff and then share. And also, like, what did Jesus do? Well, he preached the gospel. He healed the sick. Um, uh, more than anything else was the healing of the sick. To, to prove that the kingdom of God was coming. The second is he cast out demons. And, it, and he said, if, 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 if a demon leaves you, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So we need to start doing what Jesus did, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, casting out demons, 
bringing people into faith and walking alongside of them and discipling them. And I'm like, just don't be a disciple, be a disciple maker, make a disciple. Don't just make a disciple, make a disciple maker. So Jerry and I spent a few years in Zanzibar. We raised up faith and we raised up, we, we helped, um, uh, disciple Chris and Sarah. Now they're there and we're gone. And faith is healing the sick, casting out demons. There was a woman who was crippled on her porch and with three prayer sessions, she's walking. She, she got yeah. delivered from the spirit. She's walking, she's in the kingdom. And now faith is doing everything that we taught her, which is what Jesus taught us. And yeah. And, and so I think, yeah, the kingdom of God advances. advances. I think testimony is hugely important. Yeah, absolutely. Testimony, testimony is what, what builds faith. And so like our church in New Braunfels here, this was 10 years ago, doubled in size in a very short period of time. And um, sort of turnaround day was, um, it was actually unfortunate. The rector took his first Sunday off in like 10 years and left me in charge and was kind of nervous about it. And I, I sort of told everybody, look, we, ha- we want him to be able to feel safe to go away every once in a while. We have to behave. Everybody be on your best behavior. Just like, let's behave today. No wheels come off. We're going to have a nice Sunday. And doggone it, um, I had a woman come up to me and tell me that in the, during the piece that she had a pain in her knee and it was a word of knowledge. And uh, she doesn't have one. It, it was a clear word of knowledge that somebody had a pain in their knee that needed to be healed today. And then at the same time, we had a woman Stacy prayed for who was healed of Parkinson's. And so she came up and gave her testimony. So I was like, might as well, oh, what the heck. <laughs> so she came up and just gave her testimony. And everybody knew she had Parkinson's. And, um, and she gave her testimony. You test- couldn't even recognize her. Yes, Stacy had prayed for her. She went to the doctor. The Parkinson's was gone. And then I didn't, I mean, these were former Episcopalians. I didn't want to freak them out. I just initially said, you know, just if you happen to have a pain in your knee, uh, why don't you just come up? Say after church. After. We're going to do this yeah. after. So Say this, after church. I, so I wanted the people who'd be scared to leave. And I just said, uh, you know, if you have a pain in your knee, come up for prayer. And then I thought, oh, what the heck. So if anybody has any kind of pain for anything, just stay afterwards. <laughs> and so then I, we had the healing prayer team come up. Anyway, I processed out and that's, I would greet the Okay. Home. It wasn't a healing prayer team. It was three or four people who knew how to pray for healing because because we were we didn't have a team, it, right. we didn't have a team yet so we I just were, said, y'all come up yeah i'm going to process out if you want prayer stay so anyway i processed out and i'm waiting to greet the people nobody came out and i'm wondering what the heck is going on so i went back in to find my congregation and absolutely the entire church stayed everybody and, was in a line for healing prayer. and they were huddled up in groups praying for each other or they were in a line to get prayed for and it was just amazing. But it started with, I think, the testimony of the woman from Parkinson's. Yes. When she got up and gave her testimony, you could literally feel the faith rise. Just. And then we had a guy in a wheelchair with Lou Gehrig's disease who was completely healed. And everybody knew. He was the guy in the wheelchair with Lou Gehrig's disease. He got up one Sunday and got out of his wheelchair, walked up, and gave his testimony. Like, this stuff doesn't normally happen at an Anglican Episcopal church, right? Yes. But we tried to, we tried to be very sensitive to do this in a way that wasn't going to frighten right. women and the horses. The, the pastor actually told us that we couldn't do it during service, so we started doing it after service. So we prayed for the guy in the wheelchair with Lou Gehrig's disease after service, and then he came in 
I think he called. He Jerry called me a Saturday night. Saturday, and he said, "I have feeling in my legs." And Jerry said, "Well, come to church on Sunday. You have to give your testimony." And that kicked it off. And and literally, we had to move buildings because the the uh, we outgrew that space, and then we went into um, uh. What's that space called? It was, With like, the it was like a gym. gym yeah. Then we but, filled up the gym. And I want to tell you guys, this was no marketing, no nothing, just Holy Spirit blessing us and blessing people and the word getting out. And it was, we went from 150 to 300 over, almost overnight. Boom. I think if you're just, my, my experience has been if you're just, if you're faithfully doing the stuff that God will send you people. We had people, you know, our experience in churches have been just people coming out of nowhere. We had no connection to, we had no idea what they were doing, but I just believe God sent them to us because they were going to get prayed for, mm -hmm. you know, and experience the Holy Spirit. So and to go to your question, I, I think it's you do the stuff, learn about the stuff, do the stuff and give testimony. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, time is moving rapidly. And Felicia, I saw you um, unmuted yourself. Do you want to close us out with your last uh, comment or statement? Um, I can try to think of a way to close it. I was going to probably open a can of worms. So I'll go the other direction. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess going kind of the closing direction, I would say, I think that kids are really open to this kind of thing. And I think it'd be interesting to see. Um, what it would look like to bring them in. Um, I, I guess that was the can of worms is like kind of how do we bring them in more, but I just see, I see that they're very open. I think, you know, kids are normally really open to the gospel, I think in general, but I think especially to the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know. I just think that they could, they're a powerful instrument that sometimes we don't recognize maybe. I think we think, oh, they can't get it, but I they think, can. yeah. Absolutely. Can. Oh, they can do the stuff. Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Little kids are so receptive to Holy Spirit because they don't have all the baggage that we adults have. So when we were in Zanzibar, we would have a healing service once a month and we would move. We had like six churches on the island. So we would move to a different church. We had little kids as young as like seven year old that we are training with us and saying, okay, lay your hands on him. Tell that cancer to leave. And they would just with no guile, no unbelief, just lay their hands, no, and fear. no fear, and just believing that Jesus was going to heal them. We saw so many healings from the children, wow. from the children people. And then the, the little seven-year-old that was with my group, he looks up to me and he says, would it be okay if I went out to play? I'm really tired. <laughs> <laughs> So yes, bring the children in. Yeah, it's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, they'll do it. They'll do and, the stuff. And also, I find when you when you have a young person who gets who receives the receives the baptism in the Holy Spirit or gets endued with power, however you want to say it, they are ninety percent chance they will not leave the church. Mm. You know, because it's real. Mm. It's real, and and they have seen they have seen they have been vessels of the Holy Spirit and they've seen people get healed and they've seen people um, get delivered. So whatever we do, we are always doing it with our young people. Like uh, even in Kurdistan, we bring in our new believers and we're like, 
help us. And we want to show them just, just the power that they have that Jesus gives them to advance the kingdom. Wow. Felicia, definitely a great, uh, a great theme to be uh, ending on. Um, and to think about all of that uh, in the situation where we find ourselves in the challenges. If we don't need the Holy Spirit now more than ever, um, I'm not sure exactly when we would need the Holy Spirit more. So thank you, Jerry and Stacy, for being uh, with us uh, and uh, sharing with us this evening. For those um, who were interested, it, it is recorded and it will go up on our website um, probably before the end of the week. Uh, and Nancy's waving um, as well. We um, uh, next uh, next Wednesday, it'll be our privilege to uh, invite one of our guests that was supposed to be with us during Lent, but wasn't able to be here. And so we'll have uh, Father Marcus Kaiser. He's from the Holy Comforter Sumter. He is the uh, president of the Standing Committee, actually, as well. Um, I told him if he was going to make it today, I'd share with him. He is uh, also one of the co-authors of our um, imprisonment and not being able to go do what we want to do in the church. I told him I'd hold that out for against him, but he's a great guy and it'll be a great time to have him. And so um, I look forward to seeing him and to seeing you all. And Jerry and Stacy, I hope you're making sure to put us on your calendar um, when you do start making journeys uh, um, in the States, as far as that goes, to come back to visit Christ St. Paul's uh, when you're headed sort of this way, as far as that goes. So we come whether you invite us or not. Well, you're invited. So there you have it. <laughs> All right. We're a bad Remember Thanksgiving? Yeah, not invited. We, we Came anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You are totally invited. So to all the rest of us, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And I will hopefully, hopefully y'all will see me again on Sunday, if not sooner. Thanks love you guys. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Love, love you. Thank you. Bye.